We invite you to take your worship guide and turn to the back middle portion where you'll find uh, three different texts that we'll be reading this morning for the sermon. Uh, my name is Mike. If you missed the beginning, I'm the pastor here at Christ Church Halifax. So glad to have you worshiping with us this morning. Uh, you're jumping into the middle of a series that we've been doing over the last four weeks. We're in the fourth of five weeks in a series that we're calling The Pilgrim Life, Walking in This World with Jesus. God's people throughout history, whenever, wherever, however they found themselves, have resonated with a particular image that the Bible gives for God's people, a way that the scriptures uniformly describe followers of Jesus about who they are in this world. And that is we are strangers in this world. We're sojourners. We are pilgrims. The invitation Jesus makes to anyone and anyone who would, anyone and everyone who hears his call to leave their old lives behind to follow him, this is a call to walk as pilgrims through life, like on a long journey. If we enter into this pilgrim life, we have to understand something very particular about it, that it is not a life of leisure and ease. Rather, the pilgrim life uh, is difficult. Often the bitter comes before the sweet, the cross before the crown, the long journey before the arrival, a very fierce battle before victory. Every moment of life carries with it not only the call of Christ, but a rival call, one that would pull us to a different path. As one pastor puts it, uh, it's our inclination to replace Jesus' call, to deny ourselves, take up our crosses and follow him, and replace it with a self-serving path in which we deny our neighbors, take up our comforts and follow our dreams. The pilgrim life is the life that's committed to following Jesus wherever he takes us. In the weeks leading up to this, we looked at three different aspects of the pilgrim life. We looked at uh, pilgrim vision. So uh, pilgrims are called to see all things through the lens of God's word. Uh, the week after, we looked at pilgrim discipline. Pilgrims must labor with focus and intention in pursuing a life of godliness, abstaining from evil, and they're to do so because of the joy that's set before them. Last week, we looked at pilgrim friendship, that pilgrims always travel the road alongside other pilgrims. Uh, these pilgrim friendships are rooted in our friendship with Jesus and are expressed through sacrificial love to each other. This week, the aspect that we're looking at is pilgrim warfare. Pilgrim warfare. Christians have long divided the church, uh, every follower of Jesus throughout time, um, really into two different groups. Uh, we're all in one church, but the two different states of the church are the church militant and the church triumphant. Um, so those who have died and they're with the Lord, now they're part of the church triumphant. Their faith has become sight. Their pilgrim journey has finally come to an end, and they've entered into joy uh, in the presence of God and God's people. But for everyone else, all living saints, here today, we're in the church militant. This is, this is also called the church pilgrim. We're engaged until death, in this fierce spiritual battle, this spiritual warfare, uh, our, our two New Testament readings, we invite Henry forward now, our two New Testament readings, one is from 1 Peter chapter 2, one is from Ephesians 6. They're written uh, to churches filled with people like you and I. Uh, Paul and Peter uh, are giving instructions on how we're to live. Psalm 144, it's a text from the Old Testament. It's an ancient song that's attributed to Israel's greatest king, King David, where he celebrates the safe refuge that God is to him. I realize now, of course, that I neglected to bless the children. We do love children here at this church. 
I've decided not to bless them today. I'm just kidding. Uh, I just forgot about it. Uh, there is a nursery again available for ages zero to three. There about Emily, I think, is already saw her leaving. Uh, there is also kind of a quiet activity area if you have some older kids that could do some drawing or some quiet activities. We love having kids here during the service, hence the blessing for the children, which we won't be saying today. Um, but uh, kids, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, Henry, if you could read for us, please. The first uh, scripture reading will read from 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Uh, please join me in listening to God's word. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. And then the second one we're going to read is from Ephesians 6. from verse 10 through verse 20. This is on the armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may, may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And then finally, from Psalm 144. There we'll read verse 1 and 2. Of David, Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues people peoples under me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray again. Father, open our eyes to see things as you do. Thank you for speaking these spiritual truths to us in your word that reveal the true spiritual reality surrounding us even now. Help us now by the power of your spirit to respond, to believe, to act in accordance with your word. 
We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. It might be hard for us living here in the safety and security of Canada to imagine what it must be like to live in a war zone. Uh, To wake up every morning in eastern Ukraine or somewhere in Sudan and to know that, that danger is always lurking. It's always close at hand. To not feel safe uh, in your own home. To not feel safe in your own city. To have to uh, perhaps ration food and water. To have to give up just ordinary, everyday, common comforts. Uh, to need to develop courage just to step out your door in the morning to get stuff done. And many people in human history, they've lived their entire lives in wartime or with the beatings of war, you know, ever lurking and threatening in the background. And they've had to live with a radically different mentality than you and I uh, typically have to. We, we lament war. We, we hate war and strife. We, we long for, as a church, for the time where Christ will come and put all battles and all, all hostilities to an end. But this mentality that people living through times of war and conflict develop, it shares many similarities with the mentality that pilgrims must develop too. If you want to live the pilgrim life following after Jesus, you too have to develop a wartime mentality. You have to see yourself not as part of the church triumphant, where it's time to rest and take it easy, but rather the church militant, the church pilgrim. See, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this series through the pilgrim life was to give us, to give our church, a a biblical and an imaginative framework for life, a life vision for you to, to look at your daily life through a different kind of lens. When you wake up in the morning, what do you see? Uh, what kind of world are you walking into? What's happening around you? Who are you in this world? What, what are your priorities? Uh, where should you aim your energy and your attention? The scriptures give us a clear vision for daily life, and it's this. From the moment we enter this world, we're not in peacetime. We're in wartime. And while we, we do, thankfully, live in a country that's marked by peace, every person in this room, every person you know, is in the middle of a constant and pervasive spiritual conflict. Each one of us, no exceptions, faces a daily life and death struggle for our souls. The scriptures that we just read, that Henry just read for us, they begin to shape in us a pilgrim warfare mentality. The pilgrim warfare mentality does four things for us. It it recognizes, identifies, prepares, and stands. Okay, we'll look at each one of those in turns. We'll expand on those. It happens to be an acronym, R-I-P-S, RIPS. That's kind of accidental. If that helps, that's good for you. Okay, but recognizes, identifies, prepares, and stands. So this is the first part. The pilgrim warfare mentality recognizes we're at war recognizes we're at war. The first and decisive step with this type of mentality is to simply recognize, acknowledge, understand that we're not at peace. We're actually at war. Life is not as perhaps you hoped it was. You're not like a person floating on a donut-shaped inflatable down a tranquil stream. That's not a good picture of life. Rather, it's like you're in a boat heading down rapids where there's trouble around every turn. There's a spiritual battle being waged around us, and it's unavoidable. In 1 Peter, our reading there, he says to the church, as sojourners and exiles, it's another way of saying as pilgrims in this world, you need to be aware that their fleshly passions are at war against their very souls. This is the reality that's lurking. 
The daily temptations that you and I feel to indulge the flesh, indulge the eyes, indulge our pride, our, our, pride, our inclination to self-love instead of love for God, these aren't just little bits of naughtiness, little inconveniences, things that are bothersome, just weaknesses that we have. These are deadly spiritual assaults. This is, this is daily peril that we're facing, and we need to recognize this, to have our heads on a swivel. In Ephesians, the reading that we did, uh, right before this section in 6, uh, 10 through 20, from like the midpoint of chapter 4 all the way to chapter 6, verse 9, Paul has been writing to the church and giving what sounds like very basic ethical instructions to people in Christian households. So he writes to them. He tells them how God expects them to live and love each other. He's addressed uh, men and women, boys and girls, spouses, parents, servants, rulers. And then Paul gets to chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, which we just read, where he immediately slides into using visceral militant language. And the connection between these two sections is really clear. We live out our everyday household lives, seemingly mundane, our relationships, our jobs, our leisure activities, our family, and our church. We are all in the middle of a deadly, serious, yet unseen spiritual battle. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, what we're supposed to pray, just not kind of on a daily basis, the way we should pray, part of that prayer, as often as we prayed, is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Right? Jesus wants us to recognize in our prayers that we're at war, to pray like we're at war, like evil's lurking around us and ready to strike. Uh, I've used this illustration a few times, uh, so apologies if, if, it's, if it's reusing it, but if you're familiar with the DMZ, the Demilitarized Zone, it's that large strip of land between North and South Korea, apparently it's just a beautiful place. Like, it's gorgeous. Rivers, mountains, waterfalls. It's, it's really been untouched for, you know, over 50 years. If you were to see pictures of the DMZ, you might think that would be a great place to visit. Man, that would be a great place to go on vacation. The problem is, of course, though, that... In the soil, buried by Chinese, U.S., North and South Korean military, are somewhere between 1 and 1.3 million explosive mines, right? Just under the surface, not even perceptible to us, dangers lurking all the time. This is the kind of life that you're living right now. This is what our world is like. Yes, there, there is incredible beauty. Halifax is a beautiful place. By God's grace, there's so much for us to enjoy in our lives. And yet there is always, at all times, just under the surface, very real spiritual danger. Your soul is in peril, friends. This is what the scriptures tell us. You need to recognize that. So, so this is the pilgrim warfare mentality. First, it recognizes we're at war. Second, just as importantly, it identifies the real enemy. That's the I. It identifies the real enemy. One of the best parts of the Harry Potter series, I don't know if you've read it or watched the films, at least the first time that you're going through it, is the way that you're always thrown off by who the real enemy is in any given book. As you're going through it, you're so sure that the bad guy is the dark, brooding potions master. For sure. When really, all along, it's the sweet, seemingly bumbling defense against the dark arts teacher. The enemy is not, as you first assumed, the escaped convict accused of all sorts of evil, but really it's a treacherous betrayer disguised as an innocent household pet. Harry and friends, they waste so much of their time thinking that they're outwitting, outmaneuvering, outplaying who they think is their enemy, while their real enemy just moves around undetected, unnoticed, unchallenged. And in the same way, you and I often misidentify who our real enemy is. 
If I were to sit down with you and ask you, if you're being honest, what is the greatest enemy in your life? What force is most opposed to you? Be honest. You know, don't, don't, don't give me a spiritual answer just yet. What person, what circumstance poses the most significant harm to you right now? Who or what is most opposed to your happiness and your wholeness? Let me suggest that whatever answer you've got, you're probably wrong. If you're thinking about a specific person, maybe you're thinking of like a government figure or an institution, maybe you're thinking of a particularly difficult circumstance in your life right now that's causing you pain, causing you genuine frustration, you are failing to identify the real enemy. See, First Peter points out that one of the worst enemies around us isn't that family member that always gets on our nerves. It's the anger and the resentment that's cooking within our own chest towards them. That's what's waging war against us. These passions of the flesh, they can cause the deepest harm to us at a level that no person, no circumstance can touch. Paul, in our Ephesians section, he tells us that our struggle, he says, is not against flesh and blood. You're looking in the wrong direction, that the political party that grieves you, the public health order that you think is restrictive, the economic policy which is ruining the lives of many, so you think, and, and, and of course they could be very destructive, they could be really bad, but Paul tells us they do not hold a candle to the powerful, innumerable, sneaky, malevolent, experienced, unseen cosmic powers and spiritual forces of evil that unrestingly are scheming against your never-dying soul. In Psalm 144, the psalmist celebrates that God has given him victory, it says, over the peoples. That really just means over the nations. The war, uh, the kind of warfare that King David talks about here is, is the immediate context of it is his physical enemies, the wicked nations that surrounded ancient Israel and tried to destroy her. The Old Testament is actually filled with martial battle language like this. And actually, this sometimes puts people off a little bit. They, they find that the Old Testament is a little bit too violent, a little too warfaring. But what happens in the New Testament isn't that we no longer have enemies. It's not that warfare has ended, but we're able to identify and recognize who our real enemy is with far greater precision and depth than what David and the Old Testament writers could. In video game terms, David and the Old Testament writers were dealing with level one castle, level one bosses, all right? Uh, David would go to God and ask God to protect and deliver him from enemy forces that were intent on harming them, the Moabites, the Canaanites, the Philistines. But in Christ, we're now able to see the level 10 castle, the level 10 boss, the devil, the rulers, the authorities, the unseen forces of evil, far more sinister, far more dangerous to our souls. So the pilgrim warfare mentality recognizes that we're at war. There's a daily spiritual battle going on right now. Second, it identifies the real enemy. It's not who we typically think it would be. It's internal forces. It's unseen spiritual forces around us. The third thing that this mentality does is it prepares us. It prepares us for battle. So recognizes, identifies, prepares us for battle. After hearing about how active, malevolent, deadly, powerful our spiritual enemies are you might be tempted to want to, like, sit this battle out. Like, I, I don't have what it takes. You're thinking, my back's not quite right. You know, like, I, I threw out my shoulder last winter. I'm not really feeling this fight right now. Let me think about it a little bit longer before I engage. That's actually not an option for you. 
right? To not fight is to be defeated. Engaging and being active in this spiritual war and against our deadly spiritual enemies is not a decision that you can just delay to another day any more than when you encounter a grizzly bear in the wild. In that case, you have to fight or die. You can't postpone. You can't just say, just give me a few more minutes to decide. I'd rather not do this right now. That enemy won't rest, and so neither can you. If you look at Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 10, this is what God says to all people who are facing a spiritual battle. He tells them to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. God is preparing his church to be a fighting force. Uh, This section in Ephesians 6, it's on spiritual armor, the preparations that God gives for us to engage in this battle. This really could be a series on itself. We could take five weeks just in this section of scripture. It's a worthwhile series probably, but this morning we'll just have to skim. But as you look at the different things that we're called to equip ourselves with, as many commentators point out, the taking up of these various pieces of spiritual armor, it sounds a whole lot like what we do in Christian worship every Lord's Day. Right? What we're doing right now together as a church is we're preparing for battle. Weekly worship is preparation for warfare. Together every week, we gather together and we listen to God speak true words. We fasten on the belt of truth. We sing and celebrate and put on the great righteousness of Christ like a breastplate. We ready our every step in this world by preaching and remembering the gospel of peace. We fight the devil's lies by reciting and rehearsing our true faith. By holding on to it like a shield, we arm ourselves with the scriptures like a sword. We pray for each other and for the gospel mission like those who are engaged in wartime. As it's been said, really simply, worship is warfare. Worship is warfare. Pilgrims engage in warfare as often as we worship the true and living God. We often sing as a church. It probably would have been a little bit too on the nose to sing it after this sermon. We sing the song, O Church Arise. The lyrics are, are, are quite militant if you consider them. The words are, O Church Arise and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ our captain. For now the weak can say that they are strong in the strength that God has given. With shield of faith and belt of truth, will stand against the devil's lies. An army bold whose battle cry is love, reaching out to those in darkness. Friends, you're being called into this battle to be prepared for it. Playing dead won't work. (laughs) Opting out is impossible. If you're not killing sin, sin will be killing you. The pilgrim warfare mentality, this is where we're at. It recognizes we're at war. It identifies the real enemy. It prepares for battle, especially through worship, especially through prayer. And fourth and finally, it stands firm in the Lord. That's the S, stands firm. Recognizes, identifies, prepares, stands firm in the Lord. Three times in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul tells Christians to stand. Stand, stand firm, to know to know that the enemy's assaults are real, that they're, they're deadly, they're perilous, and yet we are called to stand simply but firmly and i'll admit to you that most days i'd rather rest than stand i'd rather relax than fight i'd rather take it easy than go the hard way but this is what god has called his pilgrim people to all the days of their life to stand firm 
Psalm 144 reminds us that we don't stand alone. The Lord who loves us, who in Christ has given himself for us, for our salvation, he is our rock and our fortress. It's in him that we stand and find security. When the spiritual battle rages around you, when your own heart betrays you, when you are filled with doubts and you wonder if you really believe any of this at all, when the same habitual sin rears its ugly head again and grabs you by the throat, when the horrors of the things that you've done or the things that have been done to you by others flood your memory and threaten your peace and your hope, when you feel like you don't have a single ounce of strength to engage in this fight, what do you do? Where do you turn? God's word tells you to stand firm. Stand firm, though, in one who's stronger than you, someone who took on the endless waves of the devil's assaults, and though it killed him, he was stronger even than death itself. We are to stand in him, in Christ, hiding ourselves in his love and in his strength. Look at Psalm 144, verse 2, where David remembers. David, David we, we sometimes, you know, if, you, if you're familiar with the story, you know that he, you know, he's kind of this cool-looking king, but he was the youngest in his family. He was the runt of the litter. From a family of no reputation. He was a shepherd boy living out in the country. And so this is what he sings as he faces innumerable enemies. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge. Jesus Christ was the hope that David looked ahead to, the only safe place, the only safe person to take refuge in for those who are caught in the crossfire of this deadly spiritual war. Friends, he's the only one that you can put that can put to death within you. Jesus is the only one who can put the traitor that's within you to death and yet give you life in him. And so, friends, hide yourself in Christ. There is no other refuge for you in the storms of life that you may be facing right now. Don't put your hope in your own ability to stand, in your own strength. It will fail, but this fortress, this refuge will not. We just sang it in, in Christ alone. That word alone is very important. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace when fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, I stand. The pilgrim warfare mentality does these four things, recognizes we're at war, identifies the real enemy, prepares for battle, and finally stands firm in the Lord. Last month, our family got to tour the Halifax Citadel. I had been there, but the kids hadn't been yet. Halifax Citadel, of course, at the top of Citadel Hill. It's a pretty outrageous fortification. I don't know if you've done the tour yet. It's worthwhile. It's got those high concrete walls. It's got the deep moats, fences, tunnels kind of running everywhere, cannons galore, which is very exciting. Uh, and of course, it's at the highest point in Halifax. So if you were an invading army back in the day, you'd have to, you know, get off your ship in Halifax Harbor and go up this treacherous hill up to the citadel and engage in a fight there. It would be a very foolish idea. The first version of the citadel uh, that we, just, we learned, of course, was made in, in the mid-1800s. And, and not once in its history, uh, through Canada's many, you know, local wars, through the American Revolutionary War, the Civil War, World War I and II, never did the Halifax Citadel face attack, though uh, enemies would have loved to capture it. It's a, it's, a, it's a great place, good chunk of land. The Halifax Citadel, though, during all of that time, remained armed. 
The soldiers inside of it were constantly prepared for war. They stood at guard at all times, but the citadel was never attacked, largely because it was just, it's a perfect fortress. It's fantastic. You couldn't crack it with a thousand troops. The Hebrew word in Psalm 144, for the Lord being our rock, uh, it refers to a high summit, or it refers to a place of safety in battle. Really, it means a citadel. And I wonder, you know, hundreds of years ago when soldiers were daily arming themselves for battle, preparing themselves for the war that could, could come at any minute, if they had a sense of safety, even, even there armed up and ready to go, not because they thought that their enemy was weak or because they thought that they were strong, but because the citadel that they took their stand in was so incredibly secure, such a place of safety. Maybe you feel tremendously weak in this battle. You have given in so many times to the assaults that you face. You're believing the same lies over and over again that the devil has whispered to you. You feel like you've got nothing left to give, like you've fallen over so many times it would be difficult just to stand up again. And you're tempted to give up. The call this morning that I'm giving to you, that the Lord is giving to you, is to not believe in yourself. It's not a summons to rediscover your intrinsic strength. Rather, it's the call to admit you're weak and that Christ alone is strong, that he is a citadel for the weak. This is what David sings, and this is what we're called to sing as the gathered church. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, my citadel. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield and he in whom I take refuge. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're on a very long journey, and we feel the length and the weight of it often. Uh, For those of us engaged in this spiritual battle, we are aware of the strength of the enemy, both within our hearts and in this world around us, Lord, we, we need help. And so we come to you, our Christ, our Savior, our refuge, and our citadel. Lord, would you hide those who feel weak this morning? Would you protect them and give them what they need? As a church, Father, we ask that we would be a praying force. That we would be a people armed with your true word. That you would help us through prayer through your word, to stand firm, believing what you say even more than what our eyes can see. God, be our help now. As we approach this table, would you strengthen and nourish us for the long days that we have in this world as, as the church militant to stand? Would you, th- would you strengthen us through this spiritual food that we receive now? We pray that all in Christ's name. Amen.